And, and church family, before we get into the word this morning and, and all of that, I just want to make you aware of, so that you can be praying uh, as well, um, Greg Thomas, many of you would know who Greg is. He normally sits right up here in the front, a um, little taller than me, with a beard, younger guy, uh, way younger than me. But uh, anyway, Greg yesterday uh, suffered severe burns, second degree burns to his arms and his head uh, while uh, attempting to light uh, a water heater. And so uh, he's at the Arrowhead Burn Center uh, now, and it's not life-threatening but obviously very serious, and so we want to take just a moment and pray for Greg and um, ask you to be thinking about that as well. So would you join me as we would pray? Father, we come before you, and we're just so grateful that we can come and bring our brother Greg to you, asking you in this moment to minister your grace and your mercy. Uh, would you be pleased to, through his caregivers, just... Uh, just uh, Bring him a comfort, both physically and emotionally, uh, spiritually, uh, in this, this moment. May he really sense your presence and, and have your calm. And we would pray for swift healing for him. And uh, thank you that uh, his lungs were not burned, as we understand, and that his injuries were not as severe as they could have been. So you have been kind. Um, lessons to be learned, no doubt, in the middle of all of this for him and, and for us. And we just say thank you for your care for him in advance. Lord, as well, we are about to step into your word, and we would uh, not want to do that in anything other than the, the beauty and the power uh, and the purpose of your spirit. So would you be pleased now to fill us and fill this place with your presence as we would open the book. You've written this book for us. You put your heart on the printed page. We want to handle it clearly and correctly, accurately, and with relevance. And so only you can make that happen today. Lord, I'd be pleased if you would just keep me out of the way, but give everything to your people that you would have for them from your word today. We, again, just say thanks for this time and for your care of Greg in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, church family, let's take our Bibles then, and let's find our way into the New Testament book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4 this morning. There's a little note page in your bulletin. You may want to retrieve that as well. If you need a Bible this morning, just keep your hand up and Ryan can supply you with a copy of God's Word that we keep in the back just for that purpose. Philippians chapter 4. If you get around Galatians or Ephesians or Colossians, you know you can't be very far from Philippians. And as you're finding your way to that place, as the story goes, back in the days before radios or television or even electric lights, a farmer owned land along the North Atlantic seacoast. And he constantly was advertising for hired hands, but most were reluctant to work on farms that were right along the coastline. They'd all heard about or they had experienced the savage northeaster storms that that would come in off the Atlantic and wreak havoc on, on buildings and livestock and crops and even on the workers. And so the, the farmer persistently placed ads, but no, no, no one was interested. However, one day, an older man, slight of build, weathered and wiry, uh, responded to the farmer's ad. And the farmer asked him, he said, uh, do you have experience and are you willing to work hard? And the man said, well... I can sleep when the wind blows. That was his answer. It puzzled the farmer, but uh, he was desperate for help, and so he hired the man. And as it turned out, 
the guy was a super hard worker, busy from sunup to sundown, and the farmer was more than pleased with him. Well, then came the night when one of these dreaded storms howled in off the Atlantic Ocean. The farmer jumps out of bed and he grabs a lantern and he rushes out to the hired hand's bunk house and he shakes the man and he says, get up, get up, a northeaster is on us. Tie things down before it all blows away. The man rolled over in bed and said, no, sir, I told you I can sleep when the wind blows. Well, enraged by this response, the farmer wanted to just fire him right on the spot. But there were more pressing matters. And so he rushes out into the storm and and, uh, he's afraid he's too late. He races over to the haystacks and he finds they're all covered with tarps. He ran toward the field, but the cows were already in the barn and the chickens were already in the coops. The doors were barred. Even the shutters on his house were tightly shut. Everything, as it turned out, was tied down. There was nothing that could blow away. Well, the farmer instantly recalled the man's words when he hired him and also a few moments earlier, I can sleep when the wind blows. And now the farmer understood exactly what the guy meant. He returned to his house and he slept soundly the rest of the night himself, even though the storm raged outside. You say, well, that's kind of a sappy little story, Tim. (laughs) And I admit it is kind of drippy, a little bit quaint. However, I share it with you, church family, uh, because it does hold within it a really potent truth. The hired hand was able to sleep when the wind blew because he had secured the farm before the storm came. Not exactly rocket science, but nevertheless, a truth that we sometimes need to be reminded of. When we are properly prepared before the storms come into our life, then we can sleep even when the wind blows. And of course, we all know sooner or later, the storms will howl, the wind will blow. Not something for us to get worked up or worked up about or worry about if we're prepared before the storm comes. Church family, preparing for the impending storm is where I believe the Holy Spirit would like to go with us today as we take a stand on yet another of God's many promises in his word. Now, we're in this series right now called Standing on the Promises of God. If you haven't been with us, that is where we are. And up to this point, we have shared these promises, the promise of eternal life. The promise of God's guidance, the promise of victory in Jesus, the promise of answered prayer, his promise of his constant presence with us, the promise of of wisdom. And last time it was the promise of God to always work good for his people, for those who belong to him today. As you see it there on your little note page, it's the promise of God's peace, even when the wind blows. This is a wonderful promise, and it's found where your Bible is open right now. Philippians chapter 4. The promise itself is given to us in verses 6 and 7, but then it will get additional support from the verses that follow, verses 8 to 13. So we're going to be kind of taking a look at this entire section of 6 to 13 this morning. But can we read verses 6 and 7 together right off the the screen? Uh, Just do it together as a church family. Can you read that with me? 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The promise of God's peace, even when the wind blows. Do you believe this? Amen and amen. You know, when we are not prepared for life's storms, which are sure to come, then we worry, then we fret, then we panic, then we grow anxious, then we grow fearful, like the farmer in the story. And there's nothing that sucks the joy out of your life or my life quicker than fear or worry. In fact, did you know that according to the most recent information from the National Institute of Mental Health here in the United States, nearly 30%, note that number, nearly 30% of the American population between the ages of 18 and 54 right now are adversely affected either mentally or emotionally or physically by anxiety-caused issues, fear-producing issues. That's almost 100 million people, 30% of our population, and at an annual cost of $42 billion for medication and treatment. That's what's going on in our country right now. Easily the number one health crisis in our country. Millions of people spending billions of dollars to address anxiety issues in their life. And many are literally worrying themselves to an early grave. And that doesn't include the almost countless number of the rest of us who worry in non-clinical ways about issues in our life. It's a big deal. It's an important area for us to spend time hanging out with today. Now, brothers and sisters, this is certainly not what God has in mind for us as his people. And so through Paul's pen, the Holy Spirit shares a promise, a personal promise from God to give us his peace, regardless of what comes into our life or is going out of our life, we can have God's peace. In this section of 4, uh, 6 to 13 here, we're given three sound very effective ways that we can prepare, prepare for life's storms, the, the potential worry makers and joy robbers that come before they come. Three things we can do to prepare and they will help us experience God's promise of peace so that we're going to sleep well when the wind does blow. As you see them there on your note page, the promise is ours if we will pray rightly, if we will think rightly, and if we will respond rightly. Again, verses 6 and 7. You know them well. Do not be anxious about anything. What does that mean? Anything. Okay? That just covers it all. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's His promise. Clearly, if we want to be people who sleep well, who don't worry and fret and panic and create monsters of our own making when the storms of life are blowing through, Paul says we must, first of all, be people who know how to pray and not just pray, but pray 
rightly. We must be people who know how to pray and are comfortable in conversation with God daily and many times throughout the day. We must be people who are for whom prayer isn't just this, this weird, strange practice that we do irregularly or once in a while or when things are really bad. We need to be people who know how to pray and pray rightly. The worry-free are those who are prayerful. I like that thought. The worry-free are those who are prayerful. Would that describe you this morning? Would that describe your life? Worry-free and prayerful? Notice how verse 6 begins. It says, do not be anxious. Anxious. The word Paul uses here for anxious, interesting word in the Greek original language. Anguish, uh, anxious literally means to pull apart or to, to pull in two directions. And that is exactly what worry and anxiety feel like. You feel like you are being torn apart. You have your desires and your wishes and your wants going this way. And then you have the, 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 the fears of, of other things happening that you can't control pulling in the other direction. And you literally feel like you are being pulled apart. And so it's the perfect word, anxious. We feel uneasy and apprehensive, fearful about what we can't predict or control. And Paul says, don't let anything do that to you. Now, in the same breath, we want to be careful not to take this so far uh, that we end up saying, well, I won't care about anything. That isn't what it's saying, is it? It's not saying don't care about anything. He's not saying that. In fact, Paul will openly admit numerous places in his letters, but I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 11 when he says, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. They're always on my mind. How are they doing? Are they growing? Is there a threat to their safety? He was a caring pastor. He cared. Caring about issues, caring about people. It's absolutely essential to being a productive, fruitful uh, servant of the Lord Jesus. And Paul was that. So having cares and concerns uh, for causes, they, 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 they help us to get up in the morning. They help us to watch out for our families, to, to care for other people. But anxiety is different from caring or concern because it carries with it the element of fear, the element of worry and apprehension, mostly about things that are way beyond your ability to do anything about anyway. Working hard to address a care or a concern is very different from having your stomach all tied up in knots or your adrenaline level flowing like, like you're under attack from a wild animal or feeling so overwhelmed by a fear that you can barely function or maybe you can't even function. Very different. So Paul can rightly say, do not be anxious about anything so long as in everything you are what? You are praying. You are praying. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, you're letting your request be made known to God so that the peace of God, which can't really be explained, can guard your heart and your mind. So on your note page, notice the three requirements the Holy Spirit lays out here in order for us to be able to deal effectively with this crippling fear, this worry, these joy robbers. The first requirement is what? Got to be in Jesus, right? You've got to be 
in Jesus. The last three words of verse 7, but it's absolutely first when it comes to God's peace promise. To be in Jesus, what does that mean? Are you in Jesus this morning? Are you? Yeah? That was not very convincing to me. Are you in Jesus this morning? Yes, yes. That's, that, that's the better response. Yeah. What does it mean to be in Jesus? What it means to be in Jesus is there was a moment in your life, whether you were a young a, a child or, or maybe in your teen years or, or your early, early adult life, maybe later in life, you come to this place in your, your life where you realize, man, I am a sinner and my sin separates me from God. He is holy and I am not holy. The penalty for my sin is separation from Him and hell forever. That's what the Bible tells me. But Jesus has paid that penalty for me and He did that at the cross. And then He rose from the dead victorious over my sin, over death, over the grave. And I grieve my sin and I I repent of my sin and I've accepted God's offer to forgive my sin through faith in His Son. I am in Jesus. And what we're really saying is, man, it's not about what I do for God. It's all about what God has done for me through Jesus. Yeah? Boy, we got to get that. Got to get that. And that's what it means. And, and so, so many people, people that you know right now who live with you, live near you and, and you work with, they are, they are chased by the dogs of anxiety and worry because they have some vague notion about God or Jesus that they've picked up along the way in their life journey, but there's no recognition of, of real sin in their life or, or repentance. There's no personal faith relationship. And so they say they pray to God, but nothing happens. And they will tell you that. Yeah, I, I pray to God, but he doesn't, nothing changes. Well, there's a reason for that, brothers and sisters. Real prayer is God's gift. It's his gift of intimate communication with him that is only given to those who are in Jesus. Well, your prayers don't work. You might not be in Jesus yet. Until that decision is made, the power of prayer can't be brought to bear on those places where anxiety and worry and fear like to hang out. And so before we can ever experience God's promise of peace, we must Ask ourselves, am I in Jesus? Am I in Jesus? We can summarize this maybe in another way. No God, no peace. No God and no peace. K-N-O-W, yeah, I like that. That just kind of packages it all perfectly. Well, that's the first requirement. The second requirement, bring everything to God Everything to God in prayer. What does everything mean? Means everything. Yeah, you're right. Apparently from God's perspective, if something is too small to turn into a prayer to him, then it is surely too small to turn into a worry or a fear in your life. I'm reminded of the story of a a British pastor by the name of G. Campbell Morgan. You might know that name. He told about an elderly man in his church who prided himself on being a rather spiritual guy. And so one Sunday after church, he comes up to Pastor Morgan and he says, Pastor, do you think we should pray about the little things in our lives? 
And Morgan answered, brother, can you mention anything in your life that's big to God? He exposed a trap, didn't he? Morgan pointed out this this faulty thinking that we sometimes can get into where we categorize our our needs and our issues and, and all of that into big, medium, and small. And I'll handle the small. I might be able to handle the medium and I'll give all the big. Is anything big to God? It's all small. The Holy Spirit says, don't, don't do that. Bring everything. Dump your categories and your measurements of what merits and doesn't merit your prayers. God says, talk to me about all of it, the stuff in your life. None of it will ever be too small for me to care. None of it will ever be too big for me to handle. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about anything. Bring everything to me. I got the universe in the palm of my hand. I surely have your stuff as well. Maybe that is something that you need to hear this morning and to believe this morning. Don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know what storms might be blowing through your life, but maybe you just need to remember that. God wants you to bring it all and just talk with him. Be in Jesus, bring everything, and then make sure the prayers that you pray are immersed in what? In thanksgiving. This is absolutely essential to a prayer life that can take on anxiety and worry and fear. Giving thanks is such a big deal to God. Do you and I realize how big a deal it is to him? I'm guessing not. I guess we really don't. The reason why it is so important to God is because when we are thankful, we are acknowledging that we know where every good thing in our life has come from. We're saying thank you, God, for what we have. How big a deal is this? Well, Romans chapter 1 tells us that part of the reason that God brings judgment on the world is because the world doesn't honor him. That's one reason. But in the very same sentence, he says there's a second reason that God brings judgment on the world, and that is because people don't say thank you. Big deal to him. We fail to say thank you. The Holy Spirit says, talk to God about whatever is, is agitating your mind or causing your heart to race, whatever would produce fear and anxiety in your life. Talk to God, but always, always, as you pray, give thanks that he's hearing you. First of all, thank you for hearing me come to you in prayer. And thank you that you are work, working with a perfect perfect understanding of the timing and the outcome and the purpose. And thank you, Lord, for working on my joy-robbing, worry-making need or issue. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So many times we pray to God, we make our request, and then what do we do? We go right back to worrying. We go right back to anxiety. We ask again, we worry again. We ask again, we worry again. What is this requirement actually calling for? We ask once, and then what do we do? We thank God again and again and again. That's what we do. That's the way it should work. God doesn't need us to ask ten times for the same thing, does he? He never forgets. So we ask him once. And then we thank him. 
Thank you for hearing me. Thank you for working. Thank you for providing. Thank you for caring. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, you're working. And then in verse 7, we have probably one of the best bargains that we could ever hope to come upon. If we'll bring God our worries with thanksgiving, his promise is that he'll exchange them for what? For his peace. Man, you talk about a great deal. This is a great, great deal. I give him my anxiety. I give him my fears, my worries, my concerns, my issues. And what does God give me back in return? His peace. Talk about a great deal. Present your request to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, church family, let me ask you this question. How peaceful is God? That's a weird question, isn't it? How peaceful is God? You maybe have never thought about that before. It's kind of an unusual question, but because this is God we're talking about, his peace is absolute. It is perfect peace. He is free from anxiety. He is free from from ever having known worry. Not even for one nanosecond has God ever worried. You realize that? Oh, if we could say that. Now, why is it that God is, is, is perfect peace? Why? Because he's sovereign God, right? He's God. He is subject to none. He's influenced by none. He's dependent upon none. God does as he pleases. He does only as he pleases. He does all that he pleases when he pleases. None can hold him back. None can stop him. None can tell him what to do or keep him from doing anything that he wants to do. When you have that going for you, you have what? Peace. Perfect peace. God says about himself in Isaiah 46.10, For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's none like me. Declaring from And from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purposes. When you can say that, you have peace. Or Daniel chapter 435, God does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Perfect peace. God is sovereign always in a state of perfect peace. In fact, it's the kind of peace that according to verse 7 can't be explained. We can't put this kind of peace into words and explain it to someone else. A peace, the peace of God which surpasses all what? All understanding. But get this. God says, I will gladly give you my peace. Perfect peace, not worry, not anxiety, no fear, no fret, but an impossible to explain, but definitely real peace, his very own peace. He will gladly give to those who will give him their fear, their worry, their anxiety in prayer, and if they'll do so with thanksgiving. But it doesn't end there. Verse 7 also says God sets his peace around us to guard us like a 24-hour silent sentry. 
The word Paul uses for guard in verse 7, it carries with it the idea of Roman soldiers. This is what he would have pictured in his mind. Roman soldiers who would stand guard at the city gate and they would watch. And anyone that looked suspicious or anything that wasn't right would not be allowed in because the guards were posted. And that, says Paul, is what the peace of God does for the one who prays with thanksgiving. God's peace stands guard over your minds, over your heart, and will not allow anxiety and worry and fear to have a place to get in. That's a promise. My peace, God says, to stand guard over your heart and over your mind. But someone says, well, you know, that all sounds great, but, you know, I've never really had much of a prayer life. Pastor Tim, I'm not proud of that fact, but I really don't pray very much and I really don't know how to pray. And and I'm just would you have any suggestions for what I might do to improve my prayer life, to to work on this part of my life? Well, I might have a suggestion for you after the question of being in Jesus is answered and settled for you. You know, you are in Jesus because that's the first requirement. Here's an idea you might want to try. Someone sent this to me some time back, and it just has stuck with me. I actually practice this myself, so maybe it would work for you as well. As the story goes, the daughter of a man who was an elderly man who was hospitalized had, had asked the local pastor if he would come and visit her father in the hospital. When the pastor arrives, he, he finds that the man is propped up in bed, and there's an empty chair sitting next to the bed. Well, the pastor assumed that the man had been informed that he was going to come. And so he says, I guess your daughter told you I was coming. And and the man says, no, who are you? The pastor explained, well, I I saw the empty chair. I just assumed you were expecting me. Oh, the chair, the bedridden man said. Ah, would you mind closing the door? That puzzled the pastor, but he shut the door. And then he says, this man in the bed says, I have never told anyone this, not even my daughter, but all of my life I have never known how to pray. At church I used to hear the preacher talk about prayer, but it went right over my head. I abandoned all attempts at prayer. I just haven't been a praying man. I confess that. Until one day about four years ago, my best friend said to me, Johnny, Prayer is just a simple matter of having a conversation with Jesus. And so here's what I would suggest you do. Sit down in a chair, place an empty chair right in front of you, and just imagine that Jesus is sitting in the chair. Not dressed in in, uh, first century Jewish garb, but he's got blue jeans on and a t-shirt and some Nikes, and he looks just like you. Okay? Then talk to him the same way that you would talk to me. Well, the man said, I tried that. And I have liked it so much that I do it a couple of hours every day. Now, I'm careful, he says. uh, If my daughter saw me talking to an empty chair, she'd send me to the funny farm. So I'm very careful. But the pastor was, uh, was intrigued by what he heard, and then he encouraged the man to continue his prayer chair practice. Two nights later, the daughter calls the pastor and says that her dad had passed away that afternoon. And then the daughter says, it was the strangest thing. The nurses came in. They found him leaning halfway out of bed, 
with his head on the chair. What do you think that means? Well, we all know what that means to him, right? So perhaps this practice would help you if you feel like, man, it's just a struggle to pray. Maybe you could try this and it would be a help. So if we went to sleep, if we want to sleep well when the wind blows, to live in the promise of God's peace, then we want to pray rightly. And then secondly, if you flip your note page over, we also want to be thinking rightly. And that's verses 8 and 9, where Paul says there is another key to dealing with the joy robber of anxiety and worry in your life, and that is to take care of what you think about. Be careful to think about what you think about. Think rightly. Verses 8 and 9, Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, very clearly, what is Paul doing in verses 8 and 9? Well, I believe he is forging a connection between what we think about and the peace that God promises to us. They go together. And that isn't rocket science either. If you don't, you don't really need to have a PhD in clinical psychology to know that a great defense against anxiety and worry in your life is to think carefully about what you think about. Good common sense, also great spiritual counsel. When I was in high school, I had a friend who lived in lived on a small farm outside of town. And sometimes I would go out to his place and I would hang out with him. And uh, one of his farm chores, which he had to do every day, was to go up to uh, the main water gate that controlled the water that went into the fields. And he had to go up and, and, and make sure that the gate to the, to the fields was open and clear and that the, the main canal, as it fed these feeder ditches, that there was nothing blocking it. There was, a, there was an iron grill that, that sat right in front of the gate, and he would regularly check this grill for, for anything that would block the way, brush and, and trash and stuff like that. Well, I was out at the farm with him, and he was doing his chores, and so we went up to check the grill and the gate. And as we did, uh, we came onto the grill, and there was this, very large, very dead, drowned and bloated possum blocking the gate into the irrigation inlet for, for the field. And I mean to tell you, it was bad. Oh, the smell. I can still remember this. It was really bad. And, and thank goodness for that grill being in front of that gate because what that did was it kept this dead possum from making his way into the system and, and going deeper into the system and causing some really serious problems. It was miserable business removing this decomposing animal from the grill. But it was absolutely necessary to ensure that good, clean water would flow into the field. And I think about that as I think about verse 8, talking to you and me about having a, a grill, if you will, in front of our minds, the mind gate. 
that we, we watch that grill and we monitor it and we carefully make sure that it is clear of all the stuff that would, would block the good from coming in. And, and, and so think about that as you, as you look at these verses. No one watches this gate but you. You're the only one who can monitor this particular gate. And if you don't care, take care of what you let into your mind, if you don't watch that gate, it's not going to be long before dead, stinking things are going to start coming in, right? Among them will be fear and worry and anxiety and dread. And Satan knows how to exploit this in your life. A sinful world knows how to bring these things to bear. You've got to monitor the gate. And this is why when Paul says, think about these things, he uses a word for think here that comes right out of the professional accounting uh, uh, area of his day. The word think literally means take careful account. Monitor carefully. Accountants that, that don't account well, who don't take care, they don't stay employed very long. They monitor, they take careful account. Sloppy thinkers don't steer clear of fear and anxiety for very long either. And I don't know how it goes for you, but I find that I have to frequently remind myself of Philippians 4.8 and say, okay, Tim, you need to think about something else right now because your thoughts are heading off in the wrong direction. And, and, and I'll just go through this verse. I'll just... Say it out loud to myself. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. Those are the things I need to be thinking about right now. Now, I don't always do this. And when I don't, I suffer for it. Sometimes I do this. I run to Philippians 4.8, but I run later than I should have or could have. But I've never known it to fail that when I deliberately think about Philippians 4.8, I say it out loud or I say it in my mind, I am instantly helped by it. The stinky thoughts vanish. The smelly fears that want to come in disappear. The pressure or the worry or the anger that has, that has slipped in begins to fade. And I can literally sense that I am relaxing. It's what Philippians 4 calls the peace of God. That begins to come as I practice this verse. Now, I may have to make that deliberate decision to think rightly several times in an hour because I'm prone to easily run off to stinking thinking. On your note page, I've tried to provide you with a bullet list of what each of these eight mind gate protectors are trying to get at. We won't walk through each of one of these for, because of time, but, but maybe you could just hang out with these in your quiet time this week and, and push them through the grid a little bit more. But the Holy Spirit says when you are sensing that worry and fear and anger or discouragement are nipping at your heels, then think about what's real. Think about what matters. Think about what's right and clean and unifying, helpful, best and positive rather than what is phony or frivolous or convenient or dirty or divisive or harmful or inferior or negative. And absolutely essential to your being able to do that is memorize this verse. 
The Holy Spirit can't bring this verse to your mind when you need it most if it's not on your hard drive. Memorize it word for word so that you can go through this checklist every time that you sense that your thinking is going in a direction that's not honoring to your God. Perhaps worry or fear or anxiety starting to inch up in your life. Pause and and quote this verse to yourself. In fact, memorizing verses 6, 7, and 8 would be a great thought. But also while you're at it, memorize verse 13. Because that's our third way to prepare before a storm comes to prepare well. Pray rightly, think rightly, and respond rightly. Verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. You might just put the word peace right there. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Stop for a second. Paul says, life for me is a roller coaster. It's a yo-yo. It goes up and down. I never know from day to day what my life is going to look like. Now, brothers and sisters, that would seem like it would be the perfect prescription for fear and anxiety and worry to be in that kind of an environment. On your note page near the bottom, if you look at the up and down little representation of what Paul has just said in this verse, is just like that. There's this roller coaster ride for him. But, says Paul, I don't get anxious when I have to sleep under a bridge with a growling stomach. I don't worry about that. Nor do I feel uneasy or worry when I get to stay at the Marriott and enjoy a sumptuous buffet. When I don't have, I don't worry that I won't survive. And when I do have, I don't worry about what others are going to think. That is so cool. Because really what Paul is saying is I have God's And then he says, I have learned the secret. What is your secret, Paul? Verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can be content and I can flex no matter what storms might blow into my life because through the strength that my relationship with Jesus supplies to me, I am confident that he will accomplish anything and everything that he wants from me in that moment. I don't have to worry. Paul was honestly saying the pressure's off. I don't have to be fearful or anxious. I know that I can cope because Jesus is strong. How strong? God strong. He's going to supply what I need. I have learned the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So whenever the storm blows ashore, not if, but when, Paul says, I can respond rightly because I'm not trusting in me. I'm trusting in Jesus in me. I bring nothing to the table but my weakness. He brings nothing to the table but his strength. I am in him. 
Verse 7, remember that? And he wants to work through me in this moment, in this situation, right now. The joy-robbing storms of fear or apprehension or anxiety or worry can't penetrate these defenses. He is ready before the storm comes. He prayed rightly. He thought rightly. And he responded rightly. And as a result of that, my guess is that Paul slept well, even when the wind blew. If you find yourself at the mercy today of anxiety or fear or worry, if you tend to battle those places in your life, why not make a commitment today to just set these four verses to memory in your life? Verse 6, verse 7, verse 8, verse 13. Learn them well. Learn them so well that they become as easy for you as breathing. Memorize them and then do what they say and you will sleep well. That's the promise. That's the promise from God. My peace I will give to you. It'll stand sentry over your heart, over your mind, and you will sleep well. That's God's promise. Amen? Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, how we thank you Thank you for your peace today. What a, what a wonderful promise you have given to us. This, this, this gift of prayer, the gift of good thinking, sound thinking, the gift of your strength, Lord Jesus. We have no excuse, no reason to be afraid or fearful or anxiety uh, riddled today. You've given us everything we need to have the perfect peace that is you. Thank you for that. Heavenly Father, can I ask you for a gift this morning on behalf of my friends here? My guess is that in this room, with this many people present, there is at least one, maybe more than one, for whom anxiety is just a very constant companion. Fear is close at hand. Worry is right there. Some issue, some need, some ache or loss or hurt it is just there producing these things I would ask you to gift to anyone in our room this morning who's in that place to gift to them your peace would you do that Lord for your glory for their good free them from these these joy robbing adversaries and would you grant them a thankful heart today that you have done that for them. Lord, we love you, but only because you loved us first. Thank you for these truths in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.